welcome back, everybody, to this week's edition of American Billiard Radio. My name is Mr. Bond, and I'll be your host once again for this week. It is May 29th, 2014. And before we get started, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, wish that pool legend, Buddy Hall, a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Mr. Hall. Here's to you, and I hope you have many more. What do we have going on this week? Well, you know, uh, Mike DeShane cleaned up this past week at the Ginky Memorial. Good job, Mike. Keep up the good work, buddy. We also have uh, this coming week, the China Open is going to be going on there in Shanghai. I think we have a couple of Americans that are going to be there. Um, Oscar and uh, is it Shane, I think, is going. I'm not sure. Um, that should be a really interesting event. You know, it's it's baffling to me that they even let us in the country at all. But, hey, it's pool, so that's good stuff. What's going on here? Uh, let's see. In New York, the A-Ball Championship still coming up. Got a little bit of time to get ready for that. That should be a, a great competition uh, in the largest city in the nation there. They've got some strong players out in New York. If I, I'd be afraid, actually, to compete with the likes of those dudes. Um, what else is going on? Well, we have the, oh, just over a month from now. Let's see. Yeah, just over a month from now. The Junior Nationals are coming up. That should be some pretty exciting stuff, too. If you're a fan of uh, Mark Wilson, we get to find out how, how uh, Lindenwood does and uh, his team under uh, his tutelage there how they do at the match. That should be interesting. Um, Coming up, we're going to be talking with, uh, continuing our Moscone Cup candidate interviews. We're going to be talking with Corey Duell. He's going to give us his insight about what he might have to bring for the team and uh, how they did uh, out in San Diego with their top secret operations this past weekend. And uh, after that... We're going to have a little discussion about Mr. Willie Moscone's record. He set a high run of, officially, a high run of 526 balls in a row, playing a 14-1 straight pool style. And, of course, that was back in 1954 or so. And um, technically speaking, nobody has really uh, upped that record, uh, even though there's been a couple of opportunities to do so since then. So there's this sort of a dispute going on as far as, uh, you know, is Moscone, is he as good as some of the pros today? Could his record still stand? Nobody has beat it. Can it be beaten? So uh, we took a couple of moments to talk with Mr. Schmidt about his opinion uh, on the run the high run, and uh, what he thought about what it might take to break it. So uh, stick around. We're going to get to that stuff, and uh, we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. This is the Legends and Champions Report with myself, Mark Pantrell. Brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets of Mesa, Arizona. 
And continuing with our series, Talks to the Moscone Cup Team Potentials, I have this week Mr. Corey Duell. How you doing, Corey? Hey, how's it going? It's going good. We're also joined by Dave Bond, Mr. Bond, uh, the producer of American Billiard Radio. And I, I tell you, if I can just start by asking you about this particular I guess you guys all went to this Diego with the Navy Seal. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, you know, we got to see the, all the facilities over there. You know, there's, there's still a lot of top secret stuff that we can't really say that we did over there, but I think it's going to give us a big advantage when it comes to the Moscone Cup. But it was, yeah, unbelievable experience. <laughs> top this secret, huh? Top secret, huh? <laughs> top secret, oh, huh? Hold on. That's interesting, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he can't tell you, man. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it was, it was pretty awesome. And there's not there's not too many people alive that even get to go in there and do all that, so it's pretty cool. Right. And, uh, but you, you guys all did well together as a team. Was it a good team building experience? Yeah, we all got along real good. It was, it was a fun week. Joking around and, you know... Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to do some challenge matches and, and uh, did a little pool school. And so it was, it was pretty cool. Mark, Mark Wilson's awesome as captain. So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited how everything's turning turn out. It's pretty cool. Did you have, um, you, uh, hold on a second, Mark. Uh, did you guys have a, um, uh, a, a challenge team to play against or did you split up and play against each other? We actually, they, they got a lot of the good players from there in uh, San Diego to play us. Okay. They had some pretty pretty good players. I was surprised. They, they came with some top guys. Ernesto Domingo was, was on the team. Um, Victor Ignacio, he used to play the professional tour back uh, a while back. Uh, so there was, you know, five or six good players that you could, you could draw on a tournament and you could definitely lose to. Right. You know, so... Uh, but yeah, everybody played solid. I mean, I didn't see any any weak links on our team. You know, everybody seemed to play pretty pretty solid over there. So cool, cool. Yeah. Is um, what do you what do you think of the selection process, Corey? Uh, it's different to everything else. People love it. Some people hate it. Uh, what, what's what's your thoughts on it? Um, what do you mean by selection? advocate of of uh you know mainly ranking ranking guys but 
it's hard to do rankings when you don't really. I mean, the Moscone Cup isn't a nine-ball tournament, so that being said, you'd have to you'd have to rank the guys only on nine-ball events they played, professional nine-ball events on nine tables to have an accurate ranking to get into that tournament. You know, what I mean, you don't yeah. take uh, your great straight pool player to go play a nine-ball tournament or a great one-pocket player to go play. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. If it's a nine-ball event, if it's not twenty-seven nine-ball, you would have to take the best nine-ball players. And I think I think Mark was looking along those lines when he picked the players. And you know, Matrim it's Matrim's event, so um, you know, uh, definitely nothing wrong with the way they did it. Being there's not that well, I, uh, I agree. there's not an actual ring. It's just nine-ball. You know what I mean? So right, I hadn't actually thought about it. In those terms, as far as it just being a, a nine-ball tournament, you got big players from nine-ball tournaments. And as we know, how many major tournaments are there that are nine-ball tournaments anymore? Yeah, I think people mix up ten-ball and nine-ball. And they're like, you know, a guy won five ten-ball tournaments in a row, and he's getting ready to go play a nine-ball tournament, and they think, oh, he's the best, you know. But they're totally right. separate games. I mean, the difference between nine ball and ten ball might be less, but it's still, you know, it's still a different game, different breaking, right. different, you know. Uh, it's, it's just like trying to take an eight ball player and bring him into nine ball or one pocket or something else. Yeah, so, that's right. true. This is very true. You know, that's that's just my two cents, my view on it, and uh, you know. No, it's a good one. Uh, you know, it's that, that a good one um, because again, there aren't that many t- nine ball tournaments to be judged on to begin with, um, and that should be. In my, yeah, you're right. I, I never thought about it like that. That's a that's a valid point. But so the only other option since there aren't many nine ball tournaments uh, to to go around is to pick. I pick on my guess, but I don't know if that's how Europe's doing it. I think Europe has to qualify, don't they? Europe's going to go. I think they're going to go off that European tour ranking because they have a pretty solid tour. They play all nine ball tournaments, and it makes sense. You know what I mean? We got such a big mix over here, which I like playing a lot of different events. I like playing nine ball, one pocket. I, I'd like to see an all around tournament every week. You know, it'll be nice. But uh, yeah, I think until we get you know a whole bunch of nine ball events. To, to rank the guys on it, you know we gotta do something. Pick the players. So. Right. Uh, what's your uh, What's your opinion? You know, I, I don't bring it up. I'm, I'm not asking you anything. I haven't been asking the other guys. By the way, it's just to get a, each person's opinion of what you know the, the whole thing is going to be like this year, and. You know, if you look on the internet and, and that kind of thing, you have the forums. You've got plenty of supporters, but you've also got, you know, some negative feedback. Or not you particularly, the, the team in general, saying that it's an inexperienced team and they're uh, they're, they're probably not going to do that great. Mark Wilson, as I keep saying, he's damned if he does, damned if he don't. And you know, he's, he's got a tough job ahead of him. But what, what do you what do you what what do you say to the people who think you know these guys are just too young, is too inexperienced? Yeah, they might be young, but I think they're all hungry. 
hungry to try and win, trying to prove them, prove themselves. You know, they're working hard every day. You know, it's easy for for a player to get out, win a few tournaments, and then just sit back and you know, not try that hard or whatever. You know, when when you're younger, it seems like you're out to prove prove how good you play and. and uh, you're trying hard all the time, so I think Mark's got a good group of guys that are going to do that. And uh, you know, and then there's also some top, great top players on there. I mean, Shane's on there, and uh, John Schmidt, guys that you know. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, people. I've said this before a lot. People have been talking the team's inexperienced, when really there's only a couple of players. On the team that don't have the extra, how many times have you played on the Moscone Cup? You played a couple, three times, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, talking about experience, what about I mean, Justin Hall and uh, Justin Hall and Justin Bergman? They've been out playing a lot of one pocket stuff, right? You see, they know a lot of shots that, that that just nine guys that only play nine ball don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, uh, I would agree. So they've been playing a lot of all games and playing pretty good. Go travel around the country and money matches and stuff. So, well, I think the, we, you know, it's just, I think uh, when we talk about, about inexperience, I think maybe what people are leading to is playing under uh, a huge amount of pressure. Um, the Moscone Cup, obviously, is the one that has the most probably maybe the most pressure out of any tournament out there just because the lights, the TV, and uh, you know, everything that goes around with it, the fans, the loud fans, I think maybe that's what people are referring to as far as inexperience. Jeremy, Justin, and uh, Justin, they've never been in that where they've had a thousand people screaming at them and live TV pointing out. Well, just so you know, I've played in the most going up seven times, and uh, so I would consider myself more experienced under playing under those conditions, but regardless, even if I get out there, I'm going to be nervous as hell. It doesn't matter who you are, if you've ever, never played, if you, you know what I mean? Um, so, it, it, regardless, if you, it's your first time or your 50th time, you're still going to be nervous out there just because it's, you know such an unbelievable arena to play in, you know, especially over there at Blackpool. It'll be really neat. And uh, so those guys should just know that. Look, if you're nervous, that's just natural. Everybody's nervous. I don't care who you are, you know. So uh, do, you, do you have any advice for these guys to prepare themselves for what's coming? Because, again, you just really can't know what the atmosphere and what it's like without actually have experienced it before and you have is there anything you could tell the the younger players or uh, new players to the Moscone Cup to prepare for what's coming yeah I mean there's definitely things that I've that I've uh, told them I mean just between me and the team I mean I don't want to and then also the Navy Seals, when we went over there, we learned a lot about, uh, you know, handling pressure and stuff like that. And really, those tools are just going to be so valuable over there. Um, you know, the, 
the Navy SEALs, you know, obviously they're underwater. They do a lot of breathing techniques and stuff like that. And we just, I mean, yeah, all the stuff we learned over there is going to be unreal. So it's going to help us a lot. Did you have any thoughts, Dave? Well, we haven't covered that one that one ever so popular question. <laughs> the uh, <coughs> excuse me, if I could ask it, Corey, um, what is it that you have to offer the team that that other than playing ability? Because we all the assumption is that everybody on the team or everybody in the eight is a pretty damn good shooter as it is. So beyond that, what do you have to offer the team that uh, maybe another player doesn't? Uh, well, I mean, maybe I've had, I've had some experience in playing the Moscone Cup, so, you know, if they have any questions or anything of what, you know, a couple of players are asking, hey, how's it going to be, what, you know, how's the crowd going to be, what's this, that, you know, how's it going to work, when are they going to bring me out, you know, maybe right. just stuff like that, and then, obviously, if they... If they want me to help them out with any any kind of, and maybe they come out with a new break rule or something like that, I might be able to figure stuff out for the team there. You know, I'll I'll do my best to help out. So I think I have a few things that I can help with. Good, good. Yeah, that's um, sure. That's okay. I was just going to say that uh, I'm sure the experience of having been there um, is certainly going to make a difference as far as nerves is concerned. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be hit with much that I that I haven't seen before. But I'm still gonna be nervous. Everybody's nervous. Yeah. You know. Sure. Absolutely. Go ahead, Mark. I don't know. I I, I think I was gonna ask about the um, the the team dynamic in in general. They. Everybody who's been on said that they could go out there with uh, a, a sport that they're not the underdog. Uh, if you base it on popular opinion, Team USA, no matter what happens, they're, they're the underdogs. But that just puts pressure onto the European team that they're expected to win. Yeah, I'd say that's not a bad, bad way to look at it. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever on paper, you know, if they put those guys as the favorites, uh, you know, that's fine. Uh, but we got a good solid team. And, and, you know, they need to remember back in the day when we, when we, when we were just trouncing them, uh, the U.S., you know, the Europeans, they learned how to play cool stuff. You know, they watch us learn how to play pool. It's not the other way around. We don't we don't go watch European videos to see how to play pool. They've all learned from us. You know what I mean? So uh, that's one thing that we've been around Buddy Hall and, and Siegel and, and all and Barner and all those top players, and we've seen them over the years. And I guarantee you there's going to there's gonna be a few shots that come up where we say, oh, well, I saw, I saw Nick shoot this shot, or I saw Buddy shoot this shot, where, you know, those guys are still learning from us. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. I think I think last year what Europe did better than the USA. That you know the score doesn't necessarily reflect the games. I think that the European team just did such a good job of taking advantage of 
Yeah. And and getting out with what we got, you know, built. And the USA didn't have that same. Uh, it just weren't able to take advantage of Team Europe's mistakes. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even get to watch. Uh, I think I was playing another tournament somewhere or something, and I didn't. I didn't get to watch it, so I didn't. I didn't see much of last year's. But right. They, you know, I think they had a new break rule, and I don't know if that was the U.S.'s idea to do that break rule, but that didn't seem like a real good idea. You know what I mean? I'm hoping to get, I'm hoping that, that, you know, with me and Shane maybe on the team, I don't know, if I can get on the team, uh, I think we should be able to definitely get the best of the break rule. Whatever the rule is, whatever they come up with, we should be able to, you know, we won't be clueless out there on, on the break. You know what I mean? I don't think. Well, that's, that's always been a, a, a strong spot of yours. Uh, is the figuring out the break, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what many people have said around this, uh, during these interviews, not only in these interviews, just in conversations, that Corey should be on the team if, if not only just to sit around and figure out the rack <laughs> and figure out how it'll break. <laughs> the thing for me is I'd like to know what the, what, what the rules are going to be, you know? I, I hope yeah, they don't. I hope they don't do the, the European. You know the, the rule that they play on the European tour, whatever that. I think it's like break the box or nine on the spot, three the spot, whatever that rule is. Those guys do that every week. You know what I mean? So for Matt Room to put that rule in there, I feel could be almost unfair for the U.S. team because we don't play that rule. You know what I mean? Why play a rule where those guys do it every week? You know what I mean? Well, yeah, that, that's almost, you know, that, that makes it hard. We don't really. We're not used to hitting that break. I mean, those guys practice that because there's a certain break that they got to hit to, you know, make maybe I one don't, side. I don't think we're really in a position to say what's fair and unfair because the European team aren't going to know their team until the Euro Tour certain date. Is yeah. they've all got to qualify. You guys do have a huge advantage of being able to know what your team potentially is way ahead of time and have time to work together, bond together, and practice, and, and those kind of things. But, you know, it's hard to well, say. Yeah, I mean, if they, if they let us know what it is ahead of time, it'd be, it'd be good. I don't know if they come out with that yet. We haven't, we haven't heard so it. I, I believe, and I'm sure there's people who can correct me on this, I believe last year it was breaking from the box, the nine on the spot, and uh, I believe it was balls to head string. Hmm. So that was yeah. they on the Euro Tour. Regardless of what they do, I'm, I, I'm, either way it doesn't matter, but, you know, it's just my opinion, I guess, that... It should be some sort of neutral rule. Not a rule that's yeah, outside the country, you know. Yeah, I wonder when they tell you this stuff. Um, well, they should probably announce it pretty soon, I think. Well, by golly, we should find out then. Yeah, yeah that'd, be good, that'd be a good one to find out. Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll see if we can get in touch with Luke. Let's see what he has to play. So, well, I, I think that about wraps it up. Um, Unless you've got anything else. 
No, I'm um uh, I'm good. I was just gonna uh, wish him all the best of luck, no matter what happens uh, with the team selection process. Uh, I think that uh, it whatever happens, it'll it it should in all for all sakes and purposes be for the best of the team. So um, we'll see all how all that plays out, and and like I said, good luck uh, on that day. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks, Corey. Appreciate your time. Good luck, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again in the near future when uh, the pick final five. Okay, that's it for the Legends and Champions Report, the Merchant Billiard Radio with myself and Mr. Bond. Till next week, we'll see you then. Hi, I'm Scott Lee. I'm Randy G. And welcome to the One Minute Pool Instructor. Do you think we really go for a minute, Scott? I think we go a little longer than that, <laughs> I do, too. But you know what? It's a great title. Yeah, there's so much to, to do. There is. And, and this week's topic is personal eye patterns, or what we call PEP. PEP. You know, uh, probably the least understood of the entire process in our stroke. And the most important thing to learn once you have an accurate and repeatable stroke. So how do you teach your students the personal eye pattern, PEP? Well, there's three ways to uh, change your eyes from the cue ball to the object ball. Uh, for most people, they're comfortable with doing it at the set position before they start their last backswing. So the set is after all our warm-ups complete and we've stopped our cue stick at the cue ball, you say now you shift your eyes up to the target and focus on the target spot. Correct, and you stay there until the stroke is completed. You never go back to your cue ball then. And that's what the, the long focus on the cue ball and object ball, which we'll talk about uh, in a little while. Yeah, that's called what? Uh, quiet, quiet eye. eye. Right. Quiet okay. eye, yes. All right. So what's your second way that you teach? The second way is looking at the cue ball while you do your warm-ups and you initiate your final backswing, stopping at the end of your backswing, and then changing the eyes from the cue ball to the object ball. So there then, the quiet eye says to maintain focus, we know that's a second to a second and a half. So then you're saying that that person who does that has a little longer transition back there, huh? holds his pause a little longer? Holds his pause a little longer because it takes your eyes a little longer to reacquire the target. Okay, and, and I see many players both ways, but uh, all right. What's and, your... and then the third way, and the third way is looking from the cue ball to the object ball while you're moving your cue backwards in the last backswing. Oh, well, that's dangerous. Well, it, it can be dangerous because if your cue's moving while your eye's moving, you may or may not get the optimum result. But any of those three eye patterns can be made to work. We just uh, tend to see a higher value in uh, eye pattern one and eye pattern three. Eye pattern two being looking up as you pull the cue back. Yeah, because your, your hand is faster than your eye certainly is. So therefore, it's harder to focus on a shot if you're moving, that's for sure. Yeah. That would go for pretty near all other sports, wouldn't it? It, it sure would. I know in, in, in uh, uh, take for instance, um, rifle. 
Well, you're, you, you have to focus on a target before you, you squeeze the trigger. You can't be moving your rifle and, and focusing. And of course that's hard because there's a little kick oh, usually yeah, when you yeah. shoot the gun. No kick with a cue. So PEP is what? Pers Personal eye patterns. And, and there's several different ways of doing it. And, there are. And, and we just, whatever the student is comfortable with, we put that into their program. Well, we show you the major ones and we let you pick which one you think you're most comfortable with. And, and for our uh, work, we see that eye pattern one, looking up from cue ball to object ball at the set position before you start your last backswing, seems to be by and large far more common and comfortable for most players. Yeah, I use that one personally and, and it makes me comfortable. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, that's been our one minute pool instructor tip for this week. I'm, I'm Randy G. And I'm Scott Lee. And we'll see you next week when we're going to explain what is Quiet Eye. Quiet Eye. Alright, so I'm on the line here. I got uh, Mark Cantrell and uh, Mr. John Schmidt, Mr. 400, and uh, we're having a little discussion about um, Moscone's record. And now there's one, and uh, what do you call it? There's one of his records that's, I guess, more or less considered official, the, uh, the 526. And then there's a story about a, another incident where he ran 589, but I think that was like a practice session or something like that so it doesn't necessarily count but whatever the case um here's my question for you john and mark you can just pipe in whenever you feel like it um i feel like now and i could be completely wrong but i feel like if the record could have been broken and i'm not saying it can't be broken but i feel like if it could have been broken then somebody would have done it by now it's been a long time so John, what is your thoughts on that? Is it is it um a compound yeah. question? Do you think it's um, possible that somebody could break it today? And if they have, if and since they haven't, why not? Well, first of all, let me preface everything I'm going to say here by uh, you know I'm flattered that you know you the viewers and you guys you know respect my opinion and that I'm the guy that maybe uh, could possibly break it or what have you. And that being said, um, I don't want to say anything to detract from Willie because honestly, and I don't mean to sound arrogant here, but it takes somebody that can run three or four or 500 balls to truly appreciate somebody that can run right. three or four or 500 balls. Sure, so sure. if anybody has a ton of admiration and respect for Willie's skill, it's me because I actually know how hard it is to run that kind of number. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so that being said, I'm one of Willie's most ardent fans, ton of respect. But I have so many thoughts on this, and here's, you know, where can I even start? But here's, here's some of the factors that, that, that play in, in my opinion. Okay, um, most, of, most people that know me close know I love to play golf. And one of my major issues with this whole straight pull situation, and it's quite simple, even if you don't play golf, I think it'd be easy to understand this. Mm -hmm. A lot of people talk about this 526, this run, and it was done on a four and a half or four by eight table. Right. Um, and that is by far, hands down, the easiest table to play straight to one. 
the most conducive for big runs. I know because I got to play on a four by eight and just just ran massive numbers with very few tries. Sure. And I'll get to that in a minute. But here's here's kind of why I'm bringing up the golf. Okay, if somebody said, "What is the lowest round on a par seventy two golf course ever shot?" Well, it's kind of basically figured as a fifty nine. Uh, it's been done two or three times on the PJ Tour. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is, what if a guy uh, is a great tour player and he plays on his home golf course and it's the hardest golf course in America and he plays it every day and his low score is five under? The record on that golf course is five under. Well, how's he going to compare to what Mos- you know Moscone did in golf, which would be a 59? Because he's playing on a golf course that's much more difficult. The problem with this pool record is... First of all, we play straight pool part, part time in our career, myself included. And then the little bit that we do play straight pool is on a more difficult golf course or more difficult pool table. So the world record on a nine footer is 491 by Thomas Ingert. In my opinion, that's as good as Moscone 526 on a shorter, easier, more wide open golf course or pool table. Right. So, you know, I've ran 294 on a diamond, and I have a pretty good idea of how many difficult shots and positions comes up per 100, and I feel that the 294 on my diamond was much more difficult than the 403 and the 400 I ran on a 9-footer, and I would be willing to stand there and bet that I could break 526 on a 4x8 before anybody could break my 294 on a diamond. That sounds quite arrogant, mm-hmm. but I've played enough straight pool to, got a, to have a pretty good sense of table difficulty, friction level, ball being polished, and all that being said. Yeah. I do feel, when, and you brought up an interesting thing, Dave, when you said if the record could have been broke by now, it would have. I believe that record would be broken three months if you took the top ten players in the world, you put us in a room on a 4 by 8 with just a small incentive. doesn't have to be millions of dollars, but yeah. enough incentive to spend ten hours a day for three months. You would see... My, I'm a betting man. I would run over 400 in a month, probably four or five times, sure. and threaten the 526. Now I might, might, I might not break it, but you wouldn't want to bet against somebody my level breaking it in three or four months of playing every day. Right. So I don't get to play on a four by eight, right? And I don't play straight pool every day with enough incentive to make all this happen. Right. Now again, I think Moscone's phenomenal, but. I see the way the players play today, and I mean, I've talked to Bill Alberto at length. Bill Alberto's seen Moscone in his prime and said, Moscone would have competed today, but would not have dominated. There's many, many guys today on a 4 by 8 that are going to run three, four, five, six hundred balls, and mm-hmm. I think I'm one of those guys. Now, you know, I'm proud of my 400 ball runs, but honestly, the 294 I ran on a diamond, if that's not... <laughs> If that's not as difficult as running 500 on a 4 by 8 then I don't know what is because um, it's an extremely, extremely hard thing to do. So yeah. I, I do feel the run would be broke, um, and I wish somebody would call my bluff and put up enough money. doesn't have to be, again, millions. Millions uh, would work instead. No. <laughs> but enough <laughs> money for me and Torsten Holman and Thomas Ingert and Oliver Ortman, and there's four or five other guys, and you put us all in a room, that run would either be broken or quite threatened in sure. short order. Sure. And I would be willing to bet on that. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know what else to say. I just, uh, it is an extremely difficult number to break. 
But the players in the last 30 years, they just don't play straight pool. And when we do, it is not on a 4x8. Right, uh, right. The only 4 you know, the four by eight. The only experience I have on a 4x8 is I bought a pool room in Wheeling, West Virginia. They were diamond 4x8s. So they're actually even a little bit bigger than a 4x8, if I'm not mistaken. They had 4.5-inch pockets, so not big pockets. Yeah. I covered the tables, and the first day, gambling cheap, I ran 284 and 292 back-to-back shots. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that's a long ways from 526, but, you know, I ran basically, you know, 600 balls in there with one one easy miss, and I only had one day, and I just thought to myself, given three months on this table, I would almost empty out my life savings. I could run 500. Now, again, that maybe that sounds disrespectful or arrogant. No. But I'm just, I'm just being realistic, and... uh you know, I, I think Moscone probably could have ran over 500 two or three times in his life. So, you know, but right. not on the nine-footer. So the whole thing, the table size and the amount of time played is the whole thing that that matters on this. It's just like a guy saying, well, the record in golf is 13-under, but now you put me on a harder golf course and expect me to break the 13-under. Let me go play the same golf course you shot 13-under on. And yeah. I think it can happen. Right. So, right, right. you know, and, and, and again, I know the difference between a four by eight, a nine footer, and a ten footer. It doesn't sound like much, but it's massive. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I just, again, I think Moscone's phenomenal. 526 is phenomenal. But I think there's five or six players walking the earth, and I like to think I'm one of them, that could threaten that run, if not break it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, again, somebody's going to have to put up some money to put this together. Uh, just like Moscone. See, people say, well, Moscone didn't have money put up. Well, yeah, he did. He got paid to do exhibitions by Brunswick. Mm-hmm. So basically, for five or ten years straight, he went around pool rooms with new cloth and polished poles and played straight pool. So that's thousands and thousands of innings he got to take over a ten-year period. Yeah. And given today's players the same opportunity, if Brunswick sent me around the country with a four-by-eight, and said, okay, I want you to play a couple hours of straight pool in every city for the next 10 years. Yeah. I mean, I I would actually be quite pissed off if I didn't run over 500 <laughs> and shocked. So, yeah. you know, I just, uh, <clears throat> that's my thoughts. I know I kind of rambled on there. No. But again, I, I, I think the golf course analogy is relevant for the table size. And I also believe that there's some guys that, I, I mean, I almost would bet on it. I wish somebody would bet me and give us all a year that we couldn't break it because I think it might get broke multiple times. Right, right. Not on a nine, not on a nine footer. I mean, that's important. On a nine footer, I would be highly impressed and a little bit shocked if it was broke. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, if it was done on a four by eight, I would be fairly impressed and not shocked at all. Right. If right. that makes any sense, okay. So, yeah. if I could you know, interject uh, my inexperience here. Um, I would have thought that it would be harder on a eight foot table than a nine foot table. Just and the only reason I say that is for the balls, you know, being more clustered together, you know. Yeah, I could go on for an hour explaining why it is and isn't, but I feel that you guys as far as straight pole goes consider me an expert and all I can tell you is it is flat out, hands down, easier to play on a four by eight than a nine footer um, because there's just enough room for the balls to spread, but you're close enough to reach all the in rail break shot combinations, billiards. I mean, it's just so much easier 
it's it's almost gross. I mean, it's like it's actually more. Um, it's it's so much more easier. It surprised me actually. Once I got the plan of four by eight, it is. Um, I, I don't know how much easier exactly, but like I say, um, it's just massively easier. It's it's like playing the white tees from six thousand yards and playing the tips from seven thousand yards. It's it's just absolutely massive. I'll, I'll tell you something. Um, on a four by eight, I I would be willing to bet I run. 230 plus every single day mm-hmm. and on a nine footer my lifetime i've came to gather that i'm going to run about 185 to 190 or more every day on a nine footer okay. i mean i've got like 10 15 years to look at the numbers and go my average is right around 190 on a nine footer once a day on a four by eight i i could beat 200 plus every day Okay. And, uh, well, that being said, that brings up a good question, though. You know, sure. if you're saying that uh, that in theory it's a little easier to do it on a smaller table than it would be, sure. say, on a nine or a ten foot, which makes sense to me. Yeah. But if that's sure. the case, um, it it also sort of lends to the argument. There's a lot of bar box pool played, you know, over the years, yeah. and it's been a long time since uh, he set that record. And I'm not saying that 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 any of these guys have have sat down and tried to and just failed because I do believe it right. can it can be beaten. I'm just surprised oh, yeah. that in all of these years, all these tournaments that have been played on all different sizes of tables, that yeah. as, as far as we know, you know, nobody really has well, come that close to it. You know, and well, it, I can clear that up for you. I mean, here's here's kind of what's happened with that. First of all, a bar box. There's a breaking point in size, and a bar box is not easier than a four by eight because now it actually does get too congested, right? And and things like that. And bar boxes always have crap cloth, crap balls. I mean, what have you? I I, I ran about one eighty five on a diamond bar table one time. I took about three tries, and Bob Jewett stood there and watched. Well, he tried some straight. So it is pretty easy, but a four by eight's easier. But a four by eight is that oddball table. In the last thirty, forty years since straight pool uh, quit being popular. You know, all the bar box pool that's been played, it hasn't been straight pool. Right. And if anybody did play straight pool on a bar table, it wasn't in conditions that were conducive to big runs, like new cloth, level, clean balls. So so that really, uh, and even if they were playing on the bar table, those runs um, wouldn't be as large because it's too small. Yeah. So the 4x8 just happens to be, maybe it's just coincidence, but it's the perfect size for straight pool to make it easier. Um, and also the players... Uh, there's only six or eight guys that, first of all, possess the skill, in my opinion, to run 526 or more on any table. Yeah. I mean, it isn't like if you give us four by eight, there's 50 guys that can do it. There's still only six or eight aliens out there that can pull this off. Okay. But they're not getting chances because they're not playing straight pull, and when they are playing straight pull, they're doing it on nine-foot diamonds. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just one of those things that's just not going to happen unless, you know, we get the same conditions that Moscone got because I think it's unfair to say, well, John, you've only ran 403, he ran 526. And I'm going, yeah, but I did it on best page black and he's getting to play the easiest golf. It's just not, <laughs> yeah. it's just like totally apples and oranges to right. me. But the problem is um, the pool aficionados and pool fans, some of them aren't familiar with these things and all they hear is the number. Yeah. You know, and, and today I shot a 69 like I was telling you on the golf. Well, <laughs> 
believe me, that sounds great and all, but that's nothing like shooting 69 at uh, Augusta National. That would be much harder. Right, right. So right. it'd be like saying, what, is John Schmidt as good as, uh, you know, Adam Scott because they both shot 69? Hell no. Right. I did it on an easier golf course today. So, you know, it's just to me, um, the table has everything to do with it. A uh, little bit of it is that amount of time the players of today's era put into straight pool. Um, yeah. But until you take the top 10 or 20 players in today's era and put us on 4 by 8 under perfect conditions with some incentive, it's just not going to get broken. I, right. I mean, I don't think it'll even come close. So if I, if that's I can, my thought. If I can just, uh, I, I, again, I'm probably the guy who's playing in, playing here for the people who are not educated as, others are with straight pull, but you, you just made a comment that gives the same conditions that must go to play up. Yeah. But one, they were playing on someone at 760 or 860. Uh, they yeah. weren't playing with Aramis, you know, Pro Cup, TV Bowl. Well, how much of a difference is that? That's not a big difference because one of my best friends, Bill Moropoulos, used to go to Moscone's exhibitions. He brought turtle waxed balls by hand with him demanded brand-new cloth. And something people seem to forget is the cloth back then was still like a worsted wool. It wasn't like some thick, heavy carpet. I mean, I mean, ask Alberto. He said the conditions in the 60s were perfect. They had plastic balls ever since, like, the 50s, 40s and 50s. They moved to the plastic balls, and then the cloth was good, and the pockets were huge, and the tables were little. I mean, honestly, quite easy conditions. I mean, I, you know, I just... I mean, Moscone was a phenomenal player, and if he came to today's era, I would not want to draw him in a tournament. But mm-hmm. it's like it's like the today's players would give him hell playing straight pool, and vice versa. Um, huh. but now, that's now, that's fascinating. Time, but now, there was a time, believe me, back in the '40s when they were playing on five by tens with clay balls. I mean, you know, a hundred eighty-three ball run was insane. Yeah, and those guys were great players, but. But we're talking brand new cloth, four by eight plastic balls with wax on them. That's as easy as it gets, and it's still a phenomenal thing to do because under those same conditions, there's a lot of guys today that are thought of as great, great, great players, and they could play every day for ten years playing straight pool. They're going to have a high run of three ten. Yeah. Okay, and that's I tip my hat to that. But they're not breaking Moscone's run. Right. But today's top straight pool players would threaten that run. Not only beat it, probably beat it within a few months, honestly. Yeah. And, and that surprises I, me what you say about the equipment. See, it sounds like, it, as much as we think it's evolved, the, the yeah. equipment's evolved, maybe it hasn't evolved as no, much as evolved. maybe I, I, I think. And if you want to go back to a golf analogy, how far was Ben Hogan driving the ball? Yeah, and how far is Tiger driving the ball? Well, yeah, but Tiger's playing 7,400-yard golf courses, and Ben Hogan was playing 6,600-yard golf. That's another thing people just... I'm not talking about the number. I'm just talking about... I'm talking about the drive itself. You tee off on a a par five. Because the technology has increased with all these different kinds of shafts and big berthers and all that kind of thing, these guys are able to drive the ball a lot further than when well, they're using a wooden shaft, uh, you know, sure. on, the, on the clubs. So I guess all I'm saying is the technology in pool hasn't made that much of a difference with the balls and the yeah, cloth and, and that kind of thing. No, that's a good, that's a good point. The technology is di- different in golf and had to be 
I mean, I'd have no problem playing with little forged blades and a, and a lot of golf ball if you let me play from 6,400 yards. But with today's courses, you need that. With tool, not as big a factor. Um, you know, today's tables, it's just this whole thing of tighter and tougher, bigger tables and tighter pockets. And, you know, I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's morphed into this thing. I mean, I practiced 10 ball for the last two weeks getting ready for this month's Coney Cup, and I'm playing on three-year-old cloth with four-inch and maybe four and eight-inch pockets and, um, you know, and all that stuff. So, um, I don't know, guys. I, I I totally think you had valid questions, and I understand people, uh, you know, are excited about those big runs. And, and Moscone was a phenomenal player, but I just I just know how big a factor pocket size is, table size is. And, uh, right, right. You know, there's some people going to hate on me for really getting mad at me. Like, I'm, disrespect- I'm not disrespecting Moscone. <laughs> no, I don't it, think it, so, just, no. It's just that, it's just that, you know, to compare what I'm doing on a four and a half by nine diamond, you know, somebody says, what's your high run of straight pull? And I go, well, 403 and his is 526. I guess he's just automatically better. The difference is I did it on a table that's much harder. So how can you compare it? It's very difficult, um, you know, to do. I mean, if you want to take a, the guy that's got the high run free throws in the world and then another guy gets to lower the rim a foot and a half and open it up four inches, and then he beats, you know, he beats the guy's record. Who's better? I mean, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it's just we're never going to know until we all get a four by eight and we just get in there and play. But uh, well, do you think I, I this think the uh, would be surprised. the handful of guys that you're saying that you believe that are capable mm-hmm. of doing that now? What sure. do you think? Well, this is a, another two part question. A do you think that they want that record? Like, is that something that they'd be happy? to get or is oh, it something absolutely. did they think that they just you know whatever it's not that big of a deal well that's a great question dave and let me say this okay what you got to remember is it's like back in moscone's day that was still basically the high run there so even with the four by eight and the bigger pockets and everything easier a lot of the players back then that were great great the the herald worst the luther their high runs were maybe three or four hundred or four fifty or four eighty so it wasn't like they broke it. So right. what Moscone did, even under those conditions, is absolutely phenomenally talented accomplishment. Sure. Okay. So it isn't like if we get to play on four by eight today, that sixty-five guys are just going to run seven hundred balls. Right. I'm just saying that there is a group of guys that are the most highly talented pool players in the world, and that group right now at straight pool is six or eight guys. Now, if that's all that we played nowadays, nowadays. Now, there might be 25 guys that would be a legitimate threat to break that run on a 4x8. Right now, there's not. Right. Even if you gave us a 4x8 with 7-inch pockets, there's still only 6 or 8 guys that play the game correct enough, in my opinion, and shoot straight enough that if the stars aligned, could maybe, and again, maybe, break this run. I mean, what Moscone did was phenomenal, and believe me, if I broke that run, I would be so excited, I... <laughs> You know, I would be ecstatic to break that run, even if it was a four by eight and wax ball and all that stuff. Now, so, are these I'm not guys? To demean it. No, no, I understand. Are yeah. these guys just yeah. not trying, or do you think that the nine foot table no. makes that big of a difference? Right, that's absolutely what it is. I mean, I, I mean, I, you know, I told I told you guys uh, or Mark before. You know, I have ninety eight runs over two hundred. Sounds pretty impressive. Well, I might have a hundred and fifty runs over two hundred if I didn't have to play on the big table. Yeah. It's not that every time I go to the table playing straight pole, I'm trying to run 1,200. So is Baron Appleton, so is Bustamani, but the table is holding us back because it's more difficult. 
Mm-hmm. Now, whatever everybody's high run is in this country, if all we played on was four by eights, everybody would break their own high run within a year. Probably, My high run yeah. would be 403 anymore, be 450 or 480 or 550. Right. I mean, I would break my own high run within one year, a high run that took me 15 years to set, playing straight full off and on. Mm-hmm. So the table size is more of a factor than the time yeah. that we play. Because we've all played some. I mean, you know, guys like Darren Appleton will say, well, I don't play straight full. Well, I mean, you have played it quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, you probably take it 500 innings. I've taken maybe 5,000 innings. Um, but in one year, you would break your high run. Mm-hmm. Uh, easily on a four by eight. So uh, the record would be broken, in my opinion, not only broken, I mean, somebody might run 630 or something, you know, like break it pretty handily. So uh, I would love for it to be me. But honestly, I I feel like my whole career is going to go by without it ever happening because I just got too much going on to to go find a four by eight and play 10 hours a day with a camera on so that when I break it, I get three people to pat me on the back and go, well, it was an easy table to four by that's right. what we're discussing. It's the same table he did it on. Why is it so great that he did it? But if we do it, it's easy. I know, that's right? That's what's going to happen. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, there's always going to be gonna... somebody to knock it, no matter what it happens. Sure, you know? of course, of course, of don't, course. Don't but, argue. You know, it, it, it would be a great accomplishment, even uh, with the bigger pockets and 4 by 8 and all that. What I would like to see happen is I'd like to see somebody go find that damn table, whatever attic it's set in, and recloth it, Put a camera on me and turn me loose for about a month. Yeah, because I'll tell you, in one month, um, I'd be nipping at its heels. I'd either break it or, or you'd get some good footage because I'd run over three, four hundred, four or five times. And you know, you might watch me break two or three cues when I dog it because I came up short. <laughs> so either way, but uh, you know, let, let me. I've got, I've got a question. If if I can throw something in here, yeah. you you kind of alluded to it a, a couple of times here. But let's just say we've got some guy with big money, and okay. he's loving straight pool, and he wants to see if this can actually happen. Sure. Look, I'm going to set up a table, make a table, and I want to see you guys, these top six people who who can do it. Mm-hmm. One, how much money would it take to get those people, uh, and let's just say there's a 30-day cap on this. Sure. And every day, uh, every month, somebody gets to come and play for eight hours with a camera on, and then, so it go on for six months, basically, is somebody sure. down there trying to, how much would it take? And is it a, like a biggest ice break? And who will the six people be that you think would? Well, that's a great question, and here's the way I'd like to see it go. To let each player take eight hours would be overkill because you'd get worn out. It'd be more. It, it, I think it, it would have a better chance to be broke to have it go something like this, Mark. You have one table with a camera running twenty four seven, and I would say right off the top of my head, I pick four guys that I think would really give it hell and be a chance to win. You know, do it. I'd like to pick myself, and I'd like to pick Gorston Holman, Neil Spann, and the, the the fourth slot, there's four or five guys that jump out that, that do it. Um, it could be a Danny Harriman. It could be um, Oliver Ortman. It could be uh, Darren Appleton. Even though he doesn't have a three or 400-ball run under his belt, I like the way he plays straight ball. 
and I think he could blast off a big number. He has the skill. Um, Anger possibly if he you know playing again or what have you. So so let's say we took four guys, and each day each day all four of us took maybe maybe a two or a two hour slot because you're going to get worn out. You know you're going to run two twelve and miss, then you're going to not want to start again. You're going to go have lunch and let Torsten shoot, and then let Josh Schmidt shoot and what have you. So it'd be something like that. Thirty days, I would think. I would think. What would be interesting is that let's just say for fun, fifty thousand was put up. The guy that breaks the run gets twenty five thousand, and then the guy that has the second highest run gets a chunk, third highest run a chunk, and the fourth highest run a chunk, um, or something along those lines. I mean, you'd have to give enough financial incentive for these four guys to really care, really try, really bear down, and what have you. So. Um, I mean, some, something like that. The, the guy that breaks it gets twenty thousand. Maybe the other three get five thousand, and and we'd have pride on the line and ego. People say, "Well, you wouldn't try because you're getting paid." Do you think I want to play thirty days of straight pull on camera and then tell you my high run? <laughs> no, I'd rather right. step into traffic than do that. So, so the pride and ego would be the the factor that would produce the big run, right. and a uh, little bit of money never hurts. So. Um, you're, you're, you're surprising me all the time. In this conversation. <laughs> Seriously, every, every, all my yeah, everything that I would have thought is by the wayside, and which is a good thing because it's good to have uh, uh, somebody like myself who is not as educated in straight boys, maybe Dave, and obviously not yourself, and and, and getting this other angle for the, mm-hmm. the naive people. But you named what was it four or five? There was only what two Americans. Mm. Everybody well, else European, and that surprised yeah, me because I no, thought that yeah. straight pool was an American game. Yeah, well, it was up until about the seventies, and then it turned into a German game. And uh, uh, I mean, the Americans. I mean, if this was nineteen seventy-two, I'd have been saying, "Well, let's grab Hopkins, Rampy, Siegel, Varner." And Steve Miserak, right, right, right. It's the Europeans. They play great. I'd get Vandenberg, Niels Feyen, um, Ralph Suquet, you know, Oliver Ortman, Torsten Home, and all that. So, you know, obviously, I'm. it's a feather in my cap that, that it's obvious not an American game, and I'm thought of as a good American straight pool player. But like I've always said, that's like saying you're the best, you know, snow skier in Hawaii. Yeah. I don't want to just say I'm a great <laughs> straight pool player for an American. I want to be thought of as a great straight pool player, period. And I think I can hang with the likes of the best Germans or what have you, which is tough because those guys play straight pull freaking awesome. Yeah. I mean, I love the way Torsten Hummel plays straight pull. Um, and he plays quick. And the way he plays is very conducive to big runs. He doesn't waste any physical or mental energy like myself. When we play, we go bang, 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 and we can run. You know, it's hard to run 500 balls if you're going to sit there and look at every shot for a minute. Um, yeah. So some guys, the way they play... I mean, they're just never going to run a big run because they waste way too much energy, physical, mental, what have you. Mm. But uh, that would kind of be my all-star lineup. It would be Niels Fan, uh, Torsten Holman. Uh, gosh, there's, there's four or five more that are really, really monstrous. But uh, Mika, Mika hasn't ran over 300 before, which kind of surprises me. Um, but I think he's dangerous and has the mental strength to, to not dog it and be able to come with the tough break shot at 450. Some people are going to faint when they get up that big eye. They're just going to faint, and I don't think Nika would. So 
you know. But this is probably but all the Can I ask you? Uh, can I ask you about mental strength, real quick? Yeah. Um. What happens when? Because it's obviously nothing I have ever came across. Yeah. You're at three hundred. Okay. You you're at three hundred. Now at three hundred, you've been playing for a while already. Mm-hmm. And. Does it become monotonous and you have to have the mental strength for the focus? Oh, or do you get caught up in the moment and no, just go with it? The adrenaline takes over. Yes, I'm not going to lie, and I've always said this. You know, I don't really get nervous at 100. I actually start trying at about 100 when I'm practicing. 200 is probably the threshold where I get borderline nervous. I'm quite focused. Now, the three or four times in my life, well, I've ran right. I've actually dogged it. I have probably... 10 runs between 290 and 299 where I've just completely dogged my brains out because the adrenaline was flowing, I got nervous, and I was trying really hard, and you have to fight through that because, you know, I mean, you miss a hanger at 350, I mean, you can just snap your cue in half. It's very frustrating, and I've done it, and uh, you, I mean, a calm kind of comes over you because in one respect you're saying, man, aren't I something? I've run this many. I'm a great player. On the other hand, you're terrified to do something stupid because you don't want to miss the three or four hundred. So um, the fact that I've run some big, big numbers will help me because I probably won't faint once I run three hundred because I've done it quite a few times. Okay, so how easy it is. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. No, it's all right. I just wanna, I just wanna re- reiterate this question because uh, this yeah. is what what the curiosity is driving me up the wall. So. In your in your opinion, anyway, I know that you probably haven't sat down and had a coffee chat with them or whatever. But your in your sure. opinion, each one of these guys that you've mentioned that are capable of doing it, they would all want that record. But it hasn't happened because either a the opportunities are not frequent enough, and b right. it's because the tables that we're playing on are typically larger and more difficult. Is that right? Absolutely. There's several factors, but some are like more glaring than others. Yeah. It would be like asking Moscone, well, what was Moscone's high run playing 10 ball? Right. Moscone is going to go, well, shit, I never played 10 ball. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I mean, so, so when you look at a Johnny Archer, go, what's your high run at straight ball? Well, man, let him play on a four bite. We could really find out. Right. But the most glaring factor, the most glaring factor by far is the table size. And then the second most almost tied for first factor is the amount of time played. Uh, you yeah. know, I feel like I've kind of rejuvenated straight pool in the last eight, ten years because of my interest in it. But all the straight pool that's been played is like on diamonds, nine foot, and, you know, mm-hmm. so it's just, right. you know, it's just right. the most glaring factor, guys, is the table size. And then the second is the, uh, the amount of time played. And then the third is the financial incentive. Um, because a guy like, you know, Bustamani, who's, who has all the pool skills in the world, you know, I mean, he's not going to dedicate his life to breaking a run to have seven people on AZ Birds go, ah, with me, ah, it's a little table. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. there's going to have to be enough money for the for the absolute most fierce players to put their nose at the grindstone and try right. to break right. it. Right, to justify so, the time. Uh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, you yeah. made a, an earlier point about uh, the, the golf comparison as far as the same, sure. the same record on a different course doesn't necessarily yeah. mean as much. Now, I was looking at some uh, a list of high runs earlier today, and I noticed yeah. that uh, Greenleaf had uh, a record of about 287, but 
the that was that, no, yeah, it was on a ten foot table with four and a half inch pockets, and I and I and, yeah. and, I, and I thought the exact same thing was. Wow, you know, if he could do that on a ten footer, then yeah, put him on an eight footer, and he's probably still be yeah. running them today. <laughs> he's probably yeah. on the on yeah. the same run, still uh, going. Absolutely. Uh, well, but that being said, Greenleaf got to play on the four by eight, so you still got to really tip your hat to Moscone because all those players that got an opportunity for twenty, thirty years in their prime of their life playing straight pool every day under the same conditions, day in and day out, that Moscone had. He had the biggest run for all intents and purposes. Mm. So, you know, but yes, Greenleaf's run of 287 on a 5x10 is just obnoxiously awesome. So you could bring a 5x10 today and let all the best players play for 10 years, and their high runs are going to be 250, 280. They're going to be right there. Um, You know, so... It's all table size. I mean, uh, I mean, let's let's have a pool table that's a forty by eighty with three inch pockets. Well, the world record would be nine. <laughs> you yeah. know, so it's, like, it's all relative. You know, nine. So that's that. Those are great questions, and it's nice to know that anybody has any interest in the game. And uh, believe me, I'll be the first guy to congratulate somebody can break that run. Hopefully, I can do it. Yeah. I'm not saying it'd be easy. But we got to at least give us the same conditions, uh, get to play the same golf course. I mean, you just can't expect a guy to shoot 59 when he's on a golf course that's six shots harder per round. Yeah. It's just an unrealistic expectation. Uh, well, I think people would have something to say as well. You know, if, if you broke the record on a nine-foot table, right. which, to, 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 to your knowledge and expertise, is harder to do yeah. it on an eight foot. Yeah, if you yeah. did it on a nine foot table, somebody would say, oh yeah, but you didn't do it on an eight foot table like what's right, going right, in it. Right, and so right. it's a double edged yeah. sword. He said, uh, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, that, some people are going to tell you it's harder on a four by eight. And it's not. Well, so, I, would, I would have thought that. I would. Yeah. I absolutely would have thought that because the balls would be costing up more. But well, that's why yeah. you run 400 and I don't. Well, think about it like this, Mark, and you're a snooker player and a good one. I mean, and obviously it's a different game. And there's a breaking point on being too small and getting clusters. I mean, what do you think is harder to run a 147 on a 6x12 or a 5x10 or a 4.5x8 snooker table? Imagine playing a snooker table with the snooker pockets and all the balls or everything's the same, but you're going to make it a 4x8. Well, trust me, guys would run centers left and right. So... It, uh, but yeah, it's easier to play. It's easier to play on a ten foot table playing snooker than it is on a twelve. Yes. yes, and it's the same with straight pool. But there's again a breaking point. It isn't like you can have a table that's a two by four and you're going to run millions. It's the four by eight just so happens to be the most perfect size for the average size human being to reach all their shots, make all their shots, but still be able to play position and. And I wasn't I, I wasn't sure about that until I got to spend a couple of weeks on a four by eight and I went, Holy cow, this is like way easier. I mean, you know, I just it's just way easier. And I and most of the pros know that. Uh some don't. Some of the fans know that, some don't. But I think the way to break the run would be to give us the same table, um, and let us have at it. So mm-hmm. you know, that's that's uh, I mean, maybe some kind of exhibition or, or you know, a month long or, or what have you. Yeah. I think it'd be interesting, and, and it would be, um, 
it would be interesting because, listen, if I got up there and played on a full base for 30 days and, and I only had maybe one run over 300, I'd be kind of embarrassed. I'd be like, well, I shot my mouth off that I could do this, and now look at me. <laughs> so there'd be, some, there'd be some heat on me, um, but I just don't think it would be very expensive to put together, and I hope somebody does, because I'd hate to see my prime pass me by and be wondering how many could I have run. Yeah. Because I kind of think I know, but I'd have to prove it to myself and to the fans. And uh, the only way that's going to happen is the 4 by 8 And uh, I'll do it on a 9-footer. I mean, I'll do it. But please, God, I wish people would understand it is harder. And, you know, it's frustrating when I'm expected to do something on a harder table and then be compared to something. It's just, it's really just not a fair comparison. So Yeah, no, I understand that. I, I mean, understand. I think Inger running 491 on a 9-footer is every bit as good as the five. I mean, I think that's a touch harder. I would be willing to bet I could run 526 on a 4 by 8 before anybody could run 491 or better or break 491 on a 9-footer. Yeah. Uh, I would rather shoot, like if you gave me an option, I'll bet you 5,000 you break by 491 on a 9-footer or 526 on a 4. Oh, I'd take the 526 on a 4 by 8. It ain't even close. Yeah. So maybe, maybe, maybe this conversation will open up uh, somebody's get somebody's wheels turning. Mm-hmm. You know, they would like to say, "Hey, let's just let's just see who can break my two ninety four on a diamond." We've been <laughs> playing straight pool for a decade, and I've got it on camera with a perfect run, no combos, kicks, caroms, jumps, banks, and I'll just. I'll just let everybody have, I don't know how long to break that run. I mean, 290, <laughs> nobody's ran 200 ever. I'm the only guy that's ever run over 200. I've done it eight times, and believe me, running a deuce on a diamond is brutal, much less 294. So I mean, we can talk about 526. We can talk about 491. We can talk about 294. I think I could run 526 on a 4x8 before anybody breaks my 294 on a diamond. And <laughs> and I'm kind of risking my my reputation because we actually play on diamond nine foot but i have no fear that that's getting broken anytime soon wow well it because i i've played a lot on a diamond and i know how hard they are and 294 on a diamond has got to be as difficult as running 500 on a little four by eight i, I mean that just <laughs> you know that's a really interesting point feet. it really is that's yeah yeah it's it's hard to it's hard to put to wrap your head around that. It, it's hard to 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 uh, to quantify well, I'll give you, I'll, why I'll it would be that much more difficult. I played on a diamond, and my high run, like I said, is two ninety four, and I've ran three sixty six uh, on camera on a gold crown. Now, if you go back and watch both these runs, there's seventy. I counted it. The two ninety four on the diamond. There were seventeen shots that came up that I could have easily missed. Well, I'm on the rail. I got to float one on the side. I'm elevated. 17 times a shot came up that was quite missable. Not my fault. It's the way the balls break. And whatever. The gold crown, I ran 366. There wasn't five times that I was in trouble. The ball, I mean, there's just because I can control the way I run the rack because the pockets are bigger. Right. When you get on the diamond, you know, you're just you're, you're flailing and painting yourself into a corner because the pockets are so tight you can't turn around and shoot one upstream. You can't turn around and shoot one in the side. So, uh... 17 times it came up, and then the other one was like five shots that were even remotely missable. Well, on a 4 by 8 I might run 350, and you go, you never looked like you were going to ever miss a ball. 
Oh, well, you know what? Feet don't, away you just you yeah. just brought up another good point, though. And uh, I have mentioned this to uh, to people before about the the possibility of the record being broken in a game as opposed to just running the balls alone. Clearly, there is a difference between doing it oh, yeah. by yourself. Oh yeah. And even if the oh, beginning, yeah. even if the beginning of the run is in the course of a of a of a regular game, and then you run out and just sure. keep going, at least part of that run was was initiated. Yeah. Under the, yep. the circumstances of somebody putting you in a position, rather than if you're sure. just going to run balls, you can crack them open and it's ducks on a pond at that point, you know? Well, there's going to be shots. Let's say you and I are playing for money, uh, there's, and I'm around 115, and then a difficult shot comes up. I might duck. Well, if I'm on a practice run, I'm going to go ahead and try to chop it in and keep going. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's a huge factor, too. Yeah, the odds of that getting broken in a game are just pretty much a billion to one because. We're not playing enough games, and we're not playing on the tables that are that are going to lend itself to that. And so there's just so many factors. Yeah. Um, you know, just so many factors. And I tell you something that that surprised me. I think it might be last year. Uh, Charlie's uh, straight pool tournament there in uh, New York, mm-hmm. and I think Appleton did Appleton win or was it Boston? Uh, Appleton won. Appleton ran a 200 and out in a game. Uh, Jason Shaw ran 276 practicing. Earl Strickland ran 200 and quit. The table had 5-inch pockets and new cloth and hot and dry, like perfect conditions. But it's still... Why do you stop? That's the thing. Why do you stop? I'd be... Well, first of all, 200 balls is great. But that is a long, long way from like anything spectacular happening. I mean, you know, like, if you quit at, like, 310 or something, that would make me scratch my head. But I've ran over 200 so many times and then had somebody, like, start talking to me, and I'm just going, yeah, get me a coffee, and I just rail drive one. I mean, it really is not as crazy as it sounds because guys our level are going to run 200 a lot. When you get up into that 300 range, that's where, you know, a lot has to go right to run that many, and you wouldn't just quit. And anybody that says otherwise has just never ran 300 you know, <laughs> right. so, well, that's what I don't understand uh, is why they wouldn't want that. Why wouldn't you want to be yeah. the record holder? I, I don't, I don't understand that. Well, it, I mean, sometimes, well, because it's a cool thing. It's a lot better to say how many would he have ran than to watch him miss at two seventeen and go, well, that's how many he would have ran. Now we can always talk about it for eight years. Gosh, he might have broke musket. You know, it's yeah. sort of a, it's sort of just a kind of being a little bit cool and just. Sort of also, um, like when Darren did it, I didn't blame him because he had to play the finals next. Let's say he gets up and runs 360. Now he's worn out and gets tortured in the finals. He was trying to win the tournament. Right, I think Moscone or anybody else would have done I would have done the same thing. I've run over 220. I wasn't going to say, let me keep going here. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. Go have a sandwich and win the finals. Absolutely, absolutely. If that was the last match of the day, I would would think the crowd would have encouraged him to keep going. you know, stuff like that. So, you yeah. know, no, Darren it. Appleton's a great schedule player. Uh, <laughs> he's definitely one of the guys that could that could come with a big, big number. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. He is a really good so, player. Well, thanks, John. So that, that's a great conversation. Uh, thanks for letting me uh, ramble on about how great I think I am and all that good <laughs> stuff. And just trying to um, be realistic and kind of inform people because it's a subject that's, that I'm a little – 
touchy on because people really are uninformed and make statements and, yeah. you know, Moscone would rob all the guys today and all of that. It's just completely, like, hilarious to hear that. So I, sure. I kind of had to defend today's era, but at the same time, I have the utmost respect for Willie in that era um, because I know how hard it is to run 526, and I mean, that's great. I don't care what decade you get it in or what table. So yeah. anyway, thanks, oh. for, thanks for calling, and it was fun talking to you guys and uh, the fans for listening. I guess uh, I'll uh, let you guys go. Yeah, no, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Uh, we uh, have learned a lot in the process, and we, like I said, I just we wanted to get you know the viewpoint from somebody who's been there and done that, and yeah, you know sure. find out what's really going through your head whenever this is going on. So uh, sure, sure. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Thanks, well, good. thanks. I did too. I, that was fun. Yeah, thanks, Mark, and uh, thanks, John, and uh, I'm sure John will be talking to you again pretty soon, uh, at least at some time fairly soon when this whole Moscone Cup thing unravels and, and we'll see what happens with that. So uh, until right. then, thanks. you take care. Okay, take care. Bye. All righty. Thanks, John. Appreciate it.